Grab your Bible this morning and turn to Judges chapter 3 this morning. Judges chapter number 3. Thanks for being here this morning. It's good to see both visitors and church members this morning. And we're glad that you're here. Hope you feel at home uh, here. Uh, there's no big shots here. I hope you figure that out real quickly here. There's a bunch of little shots, but no big shots. Amen. And uh, aren't you glad that we're all sinners saved by the Lord's grace? That's for sure. And again, thank you again for being with us this morning. Judges chapter 3, let's just read a few verses this morning and we'll look at the thought together. Judges chapter 3, look at verse number 1. And again, if you understand the book of Judges, uh, we understand obviously Genesis through Deuteronomy. Moses, uh, Lord spoke through Moses, gave us those books of the Bible. And of course, Deuteronomy means second law. Joshua, they come into the promised land. Joshua's the new leader. They're into the Canaan land and the promised land. In the book of Judges, they kind of settle down. This book is known for every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. And at the beginning of this book, God's going to give some instruction to them now that they're in the promised land and that they need to remember. And uh, I want you to see what that is in the first few verses here. Judges chapter 3, verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 4. Judges 3, 1 says this, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof, namely five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon unto the entering in of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Church family, reading those verses, I don't know what you caught this morning, so I just wanted to say some, uh, repeat a little bit, I guess. But the children of Israel, when they went into the promised land, uh, there were several nations that were left behind, and they were smaller groups of people, but they were left behind. God said, I'm leaving them to prove you, to test you when you get to that, into the promised land. In other words, in other words whether they're going to obey God or not. God said, I don't want you marrying the lost heathen. They did it anyway. He says, I don't want you serving Baal and Ashtaroth and false gods. They did it anyway. God left these uh, groups there. Uh, and, and on purpose to see if the children of Israel were going to love God or not love God. And church, I mean, that has not changed. We're living in a world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. In other words, as a Christian, uh, there's a test involved. God's proving you. He, he's testing to see whether or not you love him or not. And in this world, there's so many things that draw us to living for the world instead of living for God. And he makes a statement here to the children of Israel, and I want to really key on that this morning for just a little bit and kind of do a quick Bible study with you. In Judges chapter 3, I want you to look at your Bible again. I want you to look at verse 1 and 2 one more time, and then we'll pray. It says this, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many, and look at this phrase, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. Jump down to verse number two, he goes on to say, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know, and this is the topic or thought this morning, to teach them war, at the least, such as before knew nothing thereof. I really believe that we have a generation of young people that are being raised right now that they don't know war. And to be honest, I'm not even sure our generation knows war. And I'm not talking about the wars of the United States. And I'm thankful that I'm an American, amen? I'm thankful that I live in a country that believes in fighting for their freedom and the freedoms we enjoy is because somebody paid the sacrifice of their life to do it. And we believe in salvation and we believe the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously that God knows what's going on. But I'm thankful that there is a certain amount of fight that should be in, not only as an American citizen, but there ought to be a certain amount of fight in a Christian. And we're, we're, this generation today, they don't want to fight. 
We are a passive Christianity more than we've ever been before in our lives. And we are more passive because we want to be like the world and we want the world to tell us, we want to feel comfortable in this world, not necessarily tell us, but we want to feel comfortable in this world. Can I tell you that if you're a Christian, you're not going to feel comfortable in this world? Let me back up. If you act like a Christian, live for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to feel comfortable in this world. And there ought to be something in us that has, that has fight in us. You know, I'm very thankful that, again, as you as a church family, and can I just say again, you know, we went through this COVID thing at the beginning of March, and we decided that, hey, listen, if you're sick, stay home, but we're, and we're going to do a little bit of social distancing, but we are not going to stop having church. I'm thankful you kept coming to church. But you know what all that was about? That was about having fight inside of you. It was a matter of we either going to obey God or we're going to obey man. We're either going to do what the Bible says or not. And so you decided to do what the Bible says, and I'm very thankful for it. And it didn't come, listen to me, no one went to jail over it. Nobody got beat up over it. So we didn't really, I mean, as the Hebrews says, ye have not yet resisted unto blood. But can I tell you, as Christians, there needs to be something inside of us that says, okay, this is what the Bible says. I'm willing to fight for this. I'm not just going to let it go. I'm not just going to let, let the world do whatever they want. So this morning, can I teach for just a moment or preach for a moment on that phrase, teach them to war. And that's what God said to do. And we'll look at that for just a few moments. Heavenly Father, again, would you please help us this morning? Lord, thank you for the song uh, that was just sung. And we do trust you. And Father, thank you for the congregational singing. Thank you for the old rugged cross. Thank you for that blessed assurance that we're saved. Uh, Father, again, if there's someone in the service this morning, would you please draw them to you? And Lord, help them to get saved. And Lord, help us as Christians this morning to take this principle that you've taught, teach us to war. May we teach the next generation that it is a fight. It's a battlefield. And Lord, may we, again, do what you called us to do as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Church family, the first thing that God tells the children of Israel when they get settled into the promised land is to teach the generation who never had to fight a battle to teach them how to war. How many of you fellows in here were in the military? Would you raise your hand up for just a moment? All right, look at, look at, could you stand? Go ahead and stand if you don't mind. I'm sorry. Go ahead and stand. I'm not trying to embarrass you. Aren't you glad we have people that fight for our nation? Amen. Amen. All right, and they might not have been in a physical war, but they kept us from going to physical war because we had military. All right, so I appreciate you very much. Now, before you sit, I want to ask a question real quick to you fellows that have been in the military. When you guys went into, into basic training and they had those six or eight weeks or however long it was in preparation for military and preparation for war, I just want to make sure I've got my mindset uh, straight that when you went into boot camp, they decided that you, they took your order as far as what you wanted to eat each night, right? And then they let you wear whatever clothes you wanted to wear. And so if you liked a certain color, you could choose that color. And I'm pretty sure that during boot camp, they let you sleep in until noon and get up whenever you wanted. During, am I correct on that, all that so far? All right, all right. I didn't think so, all right. Maybe seated. You know, we're raising a generation today that they get everything they want. It's the rights of the people. And I want to tell you, that kind of mentality does not prepare a person for battle. It doesn't do it. And church family, we are in a war. Remember what Paul said on his dying, if I can say his dying days, because he was in prison, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 7. When it came down to the end, he said, I have fought a good, I fought a good fight. You know, we used to be called, and, and sometimes it was a compliment, sometimes it was a, it, was a, uh, it was a criticism, but we used to be called fighting fundamentalists. Now, we're not talking about Islam fundamentalists. We're talking about people who believed in the fundamentals of the Word of God. Basic separation from the world. Bible uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs type of music. We just believed that the Bible was the Word of God, and we followed those fundamental truths. 
can I tell you, we don't have fighting fundamentalists anymore. We've got a bunch of people that they're confronted about what they believe. They just conform to what everybody else does. Did he not say in Romans 12, verse number two, and be not conformed to this, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, I, I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not against government this morning, and I'm not against the world this morning in the sense that uh, we're being mean-spirited and that we hate people. God doesn't hate people. For God so loved the world. God loves everybody. But can I tell you something? He made it very clear to the children of Israel, you need to be ready to fight. You need to be ready for war. I was doing a quick study about, about, the, about this idea of war. It's interesting what it said about God. In Exodus 15, 3, it says, The Lord is a man of war. Now, you, you, there's no question on that one. I mean, it's pretty clear. There are certain things God's going to fight over. Can I tell you something? As a Christian, there ought to be some things that, that just rouse your blood. It causes you to want to stand up and say something. Some of you in here this morning, uh, and I love you, and you're, you stay the way you are, but your personality is not that way. Your personality is very quiet and somewhat timid. Now, there's others of you, you are not timid, all right? <laughs> and you're not quiet, all right? Bless, bless God, you are what you are, amen? You're like Apostle Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God and a few other things. <laughs> that was not a Bible verse, by the way. But, you know, some of you in here, your, your, your personality, and, I, and I'm not use this word in a, mean, in a bad way, but your personality is passive. And there's nothing wrong with having a passive spirit when it comes to your personality. But it is wrong to have a passive spirit when it comes to spirituality. Amen. There's certain things you have to stand up for. And I want to tell you, we've got a generation, and again, I guess I want to stress it again in, that, in the scripture there in Genesis, Judges 3, verse number 2. He says, only that the generations, plural, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them the war. He was not just talking about the generation that just walked into Israel. He said generations. He said that every preceding generation or following generation, he says, you're going to have to teach them to fight. You know, uh, our, uh, our boys uh, played basketball this last uh, Friday, was it? Friday? And they won their game. I was happy for them. All right. I know, I know, I feel bad for some of your parents. I was actually, I'm really thinking about turning this completely over to Brother Michael as far as coaching, but uh, after this year. But, you know, the idea of uh, coaching, I'm built differently, all righty? In other words, if I'm going to play a game, I'm playing to win the game, okay? Now, I know most Christians don't think that way, you know? It's like, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Okay, that's fine. I, I agree. Don't cheat, but win! You know, it's like the person takes me out golf and I'm not very good at golf. Brother Dawson used to do that. Take me out golf and he says, we're not gonna, we won't keep score. Phony, I'm not doing that. If I'm playing a game, we're gonna keep score because there's a good chance I still might win. I don't care what the game is. I don't care if it's a board game. I don't care if it's a sport. I wanna win. We're raising a generation. Oh, it doesn't matter. You're an idiot. And I don't say that with any spirituality, but you're an idiot. That is crazy. That we raise a generation that whatever I do, I can do haphazard. Whatever I do, I can do it lazily. Whatever I do, it doesn't matter. It does matter. And I want to tell you something. The things that we do physically, they bleed over spiritually. And if you have a lackadaisical attitude about whatever you do physically, I guarantee you have a lackadaisical attitude about everything you do spiritually. Amen. But you know why? Because we are a spiritual being just as much as we are a physical being. You ought to want to win. We're about to start intramurals. And believe me, I don't believe in bad attitudes. I don't believe in being critical. I don't believe in being, being mean. But I want to tell you something. If I'm going to play basketball, I want to win. 
All two of us. <laughs> hey, I want to tell you something. We need to raise a generation that has some fight in them. That has, this is a battle that we're going to. This is a war that we're taking place. Now, church, I want to talk about three things this morning. And the reason I want to talk about, about three, because every sermon only has three points. Okay. <laughs> That's not, well, not every sermon. Okay, but to this morning's message, if you study the word war throughout the scripture, and I know you don't have, we, we don't have the time to do the Bible study this morning. And, but when you study the word war throughout the scripture, you're going to find out that the Bible teaches there are three things we're supposed to war over. I'm going to actually take you to all three of them this morning. But God says that we're supposed to war. We're supposed to go to war over these three things. And so I want to start the message off really clearly this morning that what God told the Israelites to teach them the more, these same three things we're supposed to be teaching to the next generation, that this is a war and we need to fight for it. All right, now quickly, let's look at these together. You got your Bible? Let's look at the first one this morning. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10, we might come back to Judges, but look at 2 Corinthians 10. Second Corinthians 10, jump down to verse number 3. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse number 3 this morning. Every new generation of young people need to be taught about this particular war. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not, what's the word? War after the what? All right, so in other words, even though we live in this fleshly body, that, that which is physical, we do not war after just the physical. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the word carnal means fleshly, are not fleshly or carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now look at verse 5. Casting down, what's the word? imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every what? Thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, church, understand here, and I'll let, might look at some other passages with you. Let's do it right now. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. All right, now, church, I mean, with that thought in mind, casting down imaginations, in other words, what we think about. All right, now look what he says next in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, look at your verse number 5. Romans 8, verse number 5. says this, for they that are after the flesh do what? Mind the things of the flesh. In other words, you think about those that are living after the flesh, they mind or think about the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, and again, it's understood, they do mind or think about the things of the spirit. For to be carnal, carnally what? Minded is death, but to be spiritually what? Minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is what against God? Enmity. Now, church, the word enmity is where we get the word what? Enemy. Enemy. Now, again, I hope you're catching this uh, this morning, but the first war that we are constantly going to be warring over is the, is the war of our mind. It's the things that we think about. That's why he said in 2 Corinthians, casting down the imagination, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. That's a war term. Captive. Bringing into captivity every thought. Do you understand that there's a battle for the minds of our young people? There's a battle for the mind of us as adults. Just, I mean, it's a constant war. When you walk outside these doors, you're going to be in a you're going to be in a grocery store. You're going to be in a department store. There's going to be life-size people of trying to sell lingerie. They're going to they're going to have magazines in the aisle when you're walking through that are not fit for a Christian to look at. You're going to see things that you shouldn't see, hear things you shouldn't hear. Why? Because it's a battle for the mind. That's what it's a battle over. Satan's trying to get your mind. What does the proverb say? Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. The word heart there is talking about the mind. Keep your heart with all diligence. Listen to me. If you get in the car and just throw the radio on and whatever comes on comes on, you're not doing very wisely. 
If you go home and flip the TV on, whatever comes on, comes on, you're not doing very wisely. Because I'm going to tell you why. There's a battle going on, and the battle is over your mind. Church, I mean, you came to church this morning because the control center said come to church this morning. And the control center, I'm not talking about God. I'm not talking about the pastor. I'm talking about your mind. What controls your actions is your mind. How many times have I said it, and the scripture says it, Peter and John, when they were talking to the chief priest, he said, uh, unbelievable. Shut up. living. I've only had that happen one other time. It scared me half to death. I'm sorry. I apologize. Turn your phones off and your watches off. All right. I don't know why that's going off. It's on mute. Anyway, I apologize about that. It's Siri answering me. Get right with God. Interesting question. <laughs> that's how you all act, by the way. Do you understand that your mind, the Satan is trying to control your mind. And what you need to make sure that you do is you need to make sure that you don't let the devil get the, get the victory in your life by allowing your mind, what you see and what you hear, to affect what you think. Church, I'm glad you're here this morning for church. You know what church does for you? It affects your mind so that we go out and we walk with God, we act different, we talk different. It's simply because the mind, it's important that we put the spiritual things in. So what do I do? I protect my mind. And that, by the way, that's what that verse is talking about in Proverbs 4.23. The word keep there, keep thy heart with all diligence. The word keep means to guard, to protect, to hedge about. We allow, because we're not careful, we allow all kinds of things that come into our mind that we do not protect it from. I know what you're thinking, you know. I know what's right, I know what's wrong, I don't need it. Yes, you do need it. You don't think you need it? How about David, the man after God's own heart? Do you know why he committed adultery? Because he wasn't protecting his mind. The Bible says he went to that rooftop and he saw Bathsheba. It was a time that he was supposed to be at battle. He was not protecting his mind. That's why he did what he did. Samson lost his two eyes because he didn't protect his mind. Lot ended up in some cave with his two daughters and committing incest because he didn't protect his mind. Just me, there are greater Christians than you and I that simply did not protect their mind. And what happened? They lost it. You need to protect it. Not only you need to put in, not only protect it, but you need to put in the right kinds of things. Uh, I shouldn't do it. I'm going to. Sarah, stand up and quote uh, Philippians chapter 4. You last night you did for devotions. Philippians 4, 8. Can you say it loud enough? Say the last phrase again. Think on these things. Thank you very much. Hey, do you understand that when it comes to our mind, you have to protect it, but you have to put in the right thing. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report, what the, if there be any virtue, any praise. You know, it's important that you put the good things in. You know, a person sits down and they watch some film or movie. Sometimes they listen to, to music and they say to themselves, well, it's not really affecting me. I'm just trying to tell you it's a battle and it's a war. And because it's a war, you have to take serious what you put in. This is not just what happens, happens. Because I want to tell you something. Our actions are based upon what we think and what we do with our seeing and hearing bases our thinking, our thinking bases our action. We have to make sure we protect because it's a war against the mind. Something else, look at over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Not only is it a war with the, against the mind, there's another war going on and we need to teach the next generation. 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter 2. 
First Peter 2, look at verse number 11. First Peter 2, verse number 11. Dearly beloved, First Peter 2, 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from what? And then go ahead and say the last phrase together. Which war against the soul. So church family, answer the question. What wars against your soul? Fleshly lust. That's exactly right. Fleshly lust. War against the soul. Flip back a, a, book, or, a book here, James chapter number four. James chapter four. Look at James four. Look at verse number one with me. James four, verse number one. From whence come? What's the word? All right. James four, verse number one. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your what? Lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war. Yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, lustfully, amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Now, again, I, I, I could keep reading, but I just again want you to get, get the picture here, is that first there's a war going on against the mind, and we have to teach our children how to protect their mind and what to put in their mind. That next generation, he said, second of all, he said there's a war not only against the mind, but there's a war of, of fleshly lust. In other words, things that we enjoy doing that we're not supposed to be doing. The lust of the flesh. This last Thursday, I think it was, I preached chapel. Was it Thursday, Josh? Last Thursday, I was preaching chapel, and I preached a message on the hardest thing you will ever have to do. I the hardest thing you will ever have to do. You young people that were in that, in that chapel service, someone raise your hand and tell me, what, what's the hardest thing you'll ever have to do? Stephen? Say no. Say no. Spurgeon said that, it, and I'm going to paraphrase, he said it was of more value to say no than it was to, to be able to write the Latin language. What he's trying to say is, hey, listen, that two-letter word is one of the hardest words not only just to say, but to do. It's to say no, to say no to ourselves. You know why? Because the lust of our flesh. You know, you came to church this morning, but I would venture a guess that some of you pushed the snooze button more than one time this morning. Should we have a show of hands? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Pastor, I set my alarm clock an hour before I get up just so that I can push the snooze button. No, you're providing for the lust of the flesh because you don't want to get out of bed. Right. One person agrees. That's a blessing. <laughs> you, know what, you know what the problem with us is in our life is there's things that we enjoy doing that we know we're not supposed to do. When I'm supposed to get out of bed, I get out of bed. You, it, you know, we're raising a generation right now that we're telling them the things they should not do, but truthfully... It's them that have to tell themselves, I'm not going to do this. Church family, I was confronted with smoking one time in my life as a teenager. I am so thankful that as a teenager, I said no. But there are people who smoke and there are people who drink and there are people who are gluttons that basically their flesh tells them what they want to do and instead of telling themselves no, they do it. You know why? Because it's a war. It's a battle. Listen, I'm not trying to belittle you as a Christian this morning because there's things that all of us go through because our appetites are different spiritually of things that we enjoy doing, but inside we know we're not supposed to do them. I don't need a preacher to tell me what I'm not supposed to do. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. He tells me what not to do. And in some cases, you keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and you try to ease your own conscience because nobody else really knows about it except you and God. It's kind of a secret sin, so you keep putting it off. But you know deep down the Holy Spirit of God says you're not supposed to be doing that. And the only reason you do that is because there's a war going on. You know what the war is? It's your flesh. 
You have to deal with it. I have to deal with it. If anybody's a Christian, they have to deal with it. If I'm a lost person, I have no Holy Spirit inside of me. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do because I'm lost. But when, if you're a saved person, you're a child of God, God chastens his own. I have people, sometimes they leave church and they get upset. And they get upset because of preaching. And maybe one of those times I hit that particular sin that you're doing as if I'm preaching at you. And I want to tell you, that's not the preacher, that's the Holy Spirit of God. And you know why you don't want to give up that sin? It's because you have a battle going on. That battle is called the lust of your flesh. And your flesh enjoys doing certain things. And you're not going to stop doing it because you enjoy them. But I want to just tell you something. That's a war that you can, you can win. And I want to tell you how you win it. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's a war that you can win. Proverbs 25, 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Proverbs 16, 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. You know, I'm, I tell our children, our young people all the time in school or chapel or whenever it is, you can either have somebody else tell you what to do all the rest of your life, or you can tell yourself what to do the rest of your life. Well, I can't wait till I get out of school so they'll stop telling me to do homework. Can I tell you, that school is homework, but after school, there's going to be a thousand other things someone's going to tell you what to do. The congregation that goes to work in the morning does not go to work because they just want to or when they want to. They go to work because there's a boss that tells them when to show up. All I'm trying to say this morning is this, is that there's a war going on. If we don't teach the next generation how to prepare for that war, you're going to have a war over your mind. That's why I don't want you looking at those things and hearing those things and being around those things. I'm trying to protect your mind. If we don't teach the next generation that there's a war for their flesh, that war of the lust of the flesh, of things that they just simply enjoy doing. You know, right now, when they're in, a, they're in a home setting, in a school setting, in a church setting, there's a lot of parameters, a lot of fences that are put up to keep them from getting out. But you're saying, let's face the facts. One of these days, they're not going to be in your home. Then what are they going to do? They're going to have to decide whether they're going to fight the war or not. You know, I still have five children at home, and uh, I, I'm the one fighting their war. I fight the war. I tell them what they can do, not do, where they got to go, where they can go. I'm the one fighting that war. But the day's going to come very, very shortly that they're going to be outside the house and they're fighting that war. I have to teach them to fight their own war. He said, teach a generation who's not used to fighting. Make sure that you teach that generation that they need to uh, teach them to war when it comes to warring against the mind. Teach them to war when it comes to warring against the flesh. Quickly, I want to show you one more, one more this morning. Turn over to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. There's one more war going on. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're with me, still say amen. amen. Look at verse number eight. Familiar verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number eight. He said this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the who? <clears throat> As a roaring lion seeking, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Church family, there's another war going on, that war is with Satan. Hey, how many is glad you've already read the book of Revelation, we know who wins the war? <laughs> Aren't you glad... Aren't you glad, you know, Satan, when it comes to, we all understand what's going to happen, right? The uh, rapture is going to take place. We hope it happens right now, okay? Now, if you're not saved, you'll be the only one left inside the auditorium because the rest of us are going to go through the roof, all right? The Bible says we're going to meet the Lord in the air. From there, the Bible says that from, uh, from heaven or the clouds, we're going to go up into heaven. We're going to have the judgment seat of Christ, marriage supper of the Lamb. Judgment seat of Christ is when the rewards are going to be passed out. Marriage supper of the Lamb is we get to be with the Savior who died for us, all right? And we're going to eat, all right? If it's a supper, we're eating, okay? Fried chicken, roast beef, 
and no watermelon. All right, it's all, that's the way it's going to be. I'm just telling you, it's in the Bible. All right. After the judgment seat of Christ, marriage, supper of the Lamb, we're going to come back on white horses. The Antichrist for seven years is going to prepare his army. He's going to go against Israel. At the same time, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back, and we're going to be on white horses following him. They're going to turn from Israel, and they're going to try to attack the Lord Jesus Christ, craziest thing in the world. Why would you attack somebody that's on a flying horse? That's called the Battle of Armageddon. At the Battle of Armageddon, they're going to, going to lose. Jesus Christ is going to set his kingdom up, and for a thousand years, we're going to live and, reign on the, live, live and reign with him for a thousand years on this earth. Satan's going to be cast into the bottomless pit for that thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, Satan's going to be released. During that thousand years, people are going to be born. They're still going to have a choice whether or not to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because Satan's going to come back and he's going to deceive the nations and he's going to gather an army as the sand of the sea to go against Jerusalem. Fire is going to come down from heaven and destroy them at the battle of Gog and Magog. And then they're going to stand at the great white throne judgment because death and hell will be cast in the lake of fire. In other words, those who die at the battle of Gog and Magog and those who are already in hell are going to come stand at the great white throne judgment. At final battle, there will be no more war. In fact, the Bible tells us this when it comes to the millennium in Micah, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, and Micah chapter 4, verse number 3, very similar verses. And he shall judge among the nations, talking about Jesus Christ, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But church family, that hasn't happened yet. Listen to me, that hasn't happened yet. So guess what? You have a war, and that war is against Satan. And Satan doesn't want you to succeed, and Satan wants to destroy you. And he can't take away your salvation if you're saved. He can take away your influence. He can take away your fellowship, and he can destroy your, your, uh, your uh, joy of the Lord. He can take all that away, but he can't take away your salvation. And aren't you glad? There are a bunch of people who, as the Bible calls it, that are saved so as by fire. In other words, they will not have to spend one second in hell. Their name's written in the book of life. They're on their way to heaven, but they're not living the victorious Christian life, and they're not having the joy of their salvation, and Satan's taken all that away from them. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they didn't realize they're still in a war. Be sober. Be alert. Be, be serious-minded. Be sober. Be vigilant. Be on guard. Like a dog with his ears up, looking to find out what's around him. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, your, you know, we, this next generation, they don't even know who the enemy is. I don't, know if you, you know, you, I don't even know if you're going to believe what I'm about to tell you, but there are a lot of young people that are being raised, I think even in this church, but there are a lot of people who are being raised that they think the preacher is the enemy. You know why they think the preacher's the enemy? Because when you go home, you talk so negative about all the things the preacher's preaching about when their best friend is their preacher. And by the way, parent, your best friend for your children is the preacher because when they come for advice, you better hope they come to me and then don't ask their 15-year-old know-nothing friend. Their enemy is not their parents. Their enemy is not the preacher. Their enemy is the devil. And by the way, not only should you teach these guys to war and make sure that they uh, know who the enemy is, you better make sure they know what their weapon is. Thank you, Brother Baker. He sees all this expertise swordsmanship. Hey, what does the Bible say in Ephesians chapter 6? I think it's verse number 17. He said, the sword of the Spirit, which is the? I want to tell you something. If we don't teach those children how to know how to use their weapon, Satan's going to get them. If we don't teach them the importance of memorizing Scripture and doing a Bible study, not so they can get a grade in school, but so that they can be prepared against the enemy, I'm just trying to tell you they are not prepared for war. 
if they think that they have to read their Bible, I want to tell you something, their have to will turn into nothing one day because once they get done graduating from school and they don't have to put a grade on a report card or upon a class because they did their three chapters a day or because they memorized their, their monthly scripture, I'm just trying to tell you, they are not going to win the war. And parents, I want to tell you, Listen to me. I think it's wrong for you as a parent in the Christian school. I think it's wrong for you to put all that pressure upon the teachers to try to get your kids to memorize a verse. Why don't you make your children memorize a verse? It's not just a grade. It's preparing them for war. Our Christian's life are so stinking lax, lackadaisical as if everything doesn't matter. And God in heaven looks down and he knows exactly what's going on. And so does Satan, by the way. And he says the first war that's going on is the war of your mind, as far as what you think about. He said the second war is the lust of your flesh, the things that you desire to do that you shouldn't be doing. Why do marriages get broken up? Why do marriages have things that happen to them? Because a person yields to the lust of their flesh. I'm kind of worried for our church on this third one, because I want to tell you something. I know Satan's a real adversary. And, you know, I really believe with all my heart the Lord's going to have us start this, a, new, a new church in Topeka. And I know it's, it seemed like a long process, and I hope that you're keeping it a matter of prayer. Listen to me. If we are going to start another church, and if the Lord allows us to start more churches, obviously they started one in Great Bend, but if the Lord allows us to start more churches, Satan is not going to like that. So what you think is just an offense with another brother and sister in Christ, when Satan knows, that's not the real battle. The real battle is he doesn't want Heritage Baptist Church to reproduce another church that might win people to Jesus Christ and have a missions outreach from another place to where people can be saved and edified from. And he said, okay, I'm going to stop it here so it doesn't start there. You know why? Because there's a real Satan and we're in a real war. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 18, he said that thou mightest war a good warfare. Minus war, good warfare. Church family, you're in a fight. I'm glad you came to church this morning. I'm glad that we have heat in here this morning. I'm glad that we have padded pews this morning. I'm thankful that you're going to get in your car and be able to drive home this morning. But I want to tell you something. You better not let all these comforts fool you. We're in a fight and we're in a battle. And we need some young people that will be raised not just okay, what's your career? We can't just raise our children to, okay, you did the church thing. We have to get them to understand that after you're gone, they're fighting this battle without you. Prepare them for war. The guys that stood up a few moments ago that went to boot camp, I've never been to boot camp, but I've heard the stories. Drill sergeant comes in at all hours of the morning. He doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a matter of you get up at 6 o'clock. You get up when the drill sergeant comes in. They didn't go through the line and say, okay, how would you like your hair cut? They buzzed it. Amen. They, they didn't get to say, my favorite color is blue. Here's your uniform, wear it. You know what they were doing? They weren't pampering them. They were preparing them. Can I tell you something? Our young people do not need pampered. They need prepared. Why? Because there's a war. And there's a war after their mind. There's a war after this lust of the flesh. And there's a war with Satan. And I'm just telling you, we better teach. And, and not just teach. We better be prepared. It's war. Would you buy a conclusion your eyes this morning?